God is building his church here in a big way. And one of the exciting ways that he's building it in a variety of ways is part of the heart for God in the Bible is a heart of multiplication. Part of the heart that he planted this church with was the heart of multiplication, a multiplication of disciples, a multiplication of pastors, preachers, teachers, missionaries, church planters. And so we, I am thrilled today to announce to you that I am not preaching. No. Um, and yay, well, why are you guys clapping? Um, uh, but the reason for that is this, is uh, for the first time ever in the history of this church, one of our lay elders is going to preach. And um, we are uh, we are thrilled for about that. We had a a, um, a preaching uh, lab that was run, and Pastor Andrew did a great job facilitating that. And uh, five or six guys took a part of that and went growing in the Lord, teaching and how to handle the word of God, fulfilling this, the calling of one of my life versus 2 Timothy 2, 2, and taking what we've learned from, from Paul and others and, and looking for faithful men who we can entrust it to, who can teach others faithfully else. And I just want you to know that this lay elder, Don Webster, who's going to preach today is that faithful man. Praise God for that. Amen. And he has been faithful to this church for, for many, many years now. He's a faithful friend um, and he's a faithful herald of God's word. He's an engineer by day. He's a gospel expositor by night and by day. Um, and he is a gifted communicator. He has spent decades communicating God's word to people this tall um, in kids ministry in a variety of places. Um, this is his first time preaching to, well, adults. So um, pray for him. Um, I'm excited for this. Um, he is going to do a phenomenal job. And he is our main teacher at our kids Bible camp. And so if your kids are learning the gospel, it's through the, it's through the giftedness of Don Webster by, as he's led by the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. Um, Don loves to have fun. He's an avid Colorado Avalanche fan um, in hockey. He has summited seven 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado. Woohoo. Um, but more than that, he is a faithful man of God. He's the husband to Amy for over 32 years. They have three adult children. And arguably his favorite title right now of all of the ones that he has is Papa Don because they have two, two beautiful grandkids. And not Papa John. He's not here to deliver you pizza. <laughs> but Papa Don, he's here to deliver us God's word. So with that, I want to invite Don up and pray for him. I love you, brother. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege that it is to do life and ministry with every person in this room, and especially today for the Webster family and for Don. I thank you for his faithful service to us as an elder, as an under-shepherd, as a co-laborer for the gospel, and today as a herald of your gospel. God, I just pray that you would just speak powerfully in him and through him, and as we all look forward to sitting under your teaching under him. God, I just pray that you would use him mightily, calm any nerves, and just proclaim your gospel and open all of our hearts and ears and eyes to see you magnified and glorified through the beauty of your grace. And Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Our house, we do not decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I have some rules when it comes to that. So we're going to hold to that this year. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today, starting at verse 11. As pastor said, we did live in Colorado for seven years. While out there, there was a time we were looking for a church. And we ended up at Harvest Bible Chapel in Denver. It met in a school. The preaching was amazing. We really enjoyed it. They were preaching through my favorite book, which was Philippians. But it was so, so different from the churches we grew up in. The music was really different. Things were different. Two of our kids, oh, dad, we got to stay here. We got to stay here. Amy and I, uh, not sure. 
Another one of our kids, dad, can we go someplace else? But we were deciding and trying to struggle with it. Where did God want us to be in church? Where did he want us to be? And we kind of were like, I'm not sure. We'll go one more Sunday. And the last Sunday that was going to be our last Sunday was Baptism Sunday. And I know we got a baptism in two weeks. They are so powerful. The baptismal service here are some of the most memorable services I've been to. And out there, the baptism, it was like one after another after another. God's grace saved me. God's grace changed me. And God's grace gives me a future and a hope. And as I went to that service and saw the testimony after testimony after testimony, we left. We said, this is where God wants us to be. I want to be at a church where God's grace is primary, is where we want to be. And the verses we're going to study today, and we're going to kind of step through verse by verse, is Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your grace. I pray that as we talk through these verses, you would make clear to us how you want to work in our lives and how you want to change us. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the salvation it provides. Just give us a great time together as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, got to start with a big idea. The big idea for today is God's grace is available, abundant, and amazing. God's grace is available. It's there for us. It's abundant. There's more than we can ever need. And it's amazing. We'll never fully, completely understanding. But it requires us to respond. It's going to require a response from us. We're going to need to do something with the grace that God provides us. So I like to start a little simple. I like to start with some definitions. Grace, and these are definitions I learned many, many years ago. And the first one is that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is the opposite. That's God not giving us what we do deserve, the punishment for our sin. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We can't earn it. He provides it to us freely. The other definition is an acrostic. And I don't know, maybe some of you have heard this before, but it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's got, un, you can't even count the riches that God has. And he gives them to us, but the cost that that was to Christ is something that we just can't imagine. And we're going to talk through some of that as we go along, but... God's grace is available, abundant, and amazing, but we need to respond. So the book of Titus, written by Paul, 
Titus was one of his co-workers in the faith. They had a close relationship, and he wrote it to Titus to encourage him, and there was a lot that went on where he's talking about different people and young men and old women and teaching and young ladies and all that going through. But Paul wanted it to be very clear that it's all about the grace of God. So let's start out right at verse 11. And it's kind of the beginning is the grace of God brings salvation. And we'll read verse 11 again. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared is Jesus Christ. He was God's grace. So last week I was teaching in the kids group and we talked about a guy named Simeon. I don't know, how many in here have heard of Simeon from the Bible? Several. So from the Old Testament, the prophets, where God would speak to the prophets, and a lot of it was bad news, but they were also looking forward to the Messiah coming, to Jesus coming. There was a 400-year break of basically silence, nothing being said. God wasn't speaking directly to the people. They were looking for the Messiah. Well, that silence was broken with Zechariah finding out that, yeah, in your old age, you and your wife are going to have a baby, and that baby's name is going to be John the Baptist, and he's going to come before Christ. And the silence was also broken, obviously, to Mary and Joseph saying, you're going to have a child named Jesus. So how does Simeon fit in? Well, the Bible says Simeon was a devout and righteous man. And as a devout and righteous man, they said he was filled with the spirit. And Simeon received a message from God that he would not see death until he had seen God's salvation, until he had seen the Messiah. And it said he was led in the spirit to go to the temple. The day he went to the temple was when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus as a baby to be dedicated and so Jesus was probably four weeks, five weeks old. I can't imagine coming to the temple. It says Simeon walked right up to them and picked up the baby. I'm like, well, first of all, we've had four and five week, four and five week old kids. And having a stranger come up and pick a baby out of your arm is kind of a little iffy with that one. <laughs> but Simeon, God, I can die in peace now because I have seen your salvation. And this baby, and he didn't even, it's a baby. And he's like, this is the salvation. This is the one we've been waiting for. And I just think through what must it have been like to be him, to be there in that moment and to hold the child. And Simeon also understood and he explained in some detail to Mary that it's going to get really, really hard. And you probably don't fully comprehend it, but this savior is going to have to die later. And it's going to cause you a great deal of pain. But I'm holding this savior of the world. Now in Titus, as we look at what Paul is doing, Paul is looking backwards. Jesus had already come. Jesus had already lived his perfect life. Jesus had already been killed on a cross. He had suffered that. And he had risen victorious from the grave. So Paul is looking back and he's saying, this grace of God has appeared. It's already been here. And for us, we have the full Bible. We can look back and we see where the grace of God has already been here. 
So one of the things I do at work, I'm an engineer. One of the things is we ask the question, why? Why did it work this way? Why did this happen? So the second half of the verse says bringing salvation for all people. And we have to ask the question, well, why, why is there a need for salvation? Why did Christ have to come? And it breaks into two things. First of all, God is perfect, holy, absolute perfection, never done anything wrong. And man, we are the exact opposite. The Bible says we have all sinned. We have all come short of God's glory. We don't meet God's perfect standards. God perfect and holy in every way, man, we don't, we don't meet that standard. And there needed to be a way for man to meet God's perfect standard. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. And we're not. So Jesus Christ coming to earth, living that perfect life, dying that cruel death on the cross and raising victorious from the grave, he covered the penalty for our sin. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And that grace of God that brings salvation, that was a price that Jesus paid. So in Ephesians, there's a verse that says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of lurks, lest any man should boast. We cannot earn that salvation. God's grace that appeared to us provided that salvation and it's our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that provides the salvation that we need. There's also another verse in Romans that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, we can't earn our way to salvation. We can't just have the good outweigh the bad just by a little bit. It's only through God's grace that brought this salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. And us calling out, in surrender and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I believe you died for me. I believe that you can save me and I want you to save me. And that's where salvation comes in. God's grace does bring salvation. And we have a bigger word for that that's called uh, justification. And justification means we're made right before God at the moment of salvation. But there's another verse to this. Verse 12 is where the sanctification process moves in. You go from being justified right before God, but now where do we go from there? We need to grow in our walk as a believer. We need to move forward. We need to allow God to work on us. And the second point that we're going to go over is verse 12, and that's the grace of God trains us to change. The grace of God trains us to change. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to change. We need God's grace. We need God's help. And as we look through these verses, and we'll read verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The first half of the verse, as we look at it, those are the things we need to put off certain things in our life. 
There's things in our life that we need to get rid of as we grow and learn more from God. In the second half of the verse, we need to put on some other things. We need to grow in godly things. So for the first half of the verse, I normally like to go in like perfect sequential order, but we're not going to do that. We're going to take the first half and go backwards. And the... In verse 12, it says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. I want to, they're going to pull up a verse on the board that's Colossians 3, 5 to 9. Paul wrote Colossians to another group, and this kind of lists off some of the things we need to put off. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's a big list. There's a lot of things that God's saying, you need to put these things off. And it's kind of a daunting list. We think, okay, I'm good on that one, check. Good on that, oh boy. Got a problem with that one, check, check, problem. And I think if we all honestly looked at that list, there are things in our lives that we need God's help to put off, to change. Okay, so let's go backwards one more word. Renounce. Okay, I grew up in the 80s. Okay, maybe I grew up in the 70s, but I was in high school and college in the 80s. But in the 80s, um, Ronald Reagan was president. Nancy Reagan had some certain responsibilities. Now, the 80s were a tough time. There was some, a lot of drug use. Um, cocaine had become really pre- prevalent. Crack cocaine was coming out. People's lives were being destroyed by these drugs. And Nancy Reagan, her... She had like a little bit of a campaign slogan when it came to this. And there was all kinds of posters and things like that. But it was very simple. Just say no. Just say no to drugs. Well, when I see this word renounced in this verse, I see, okay, we just need to say no. Okay, so you got this daunting list. Renounce says just say no. Okay, so that's simple. We're done, right? Let's just say no, move on. The word training at the beginning of this verse gives me a lot of comfort. To me, the word training, it's a beautiful word that says God's grace is going to give us a power to say no to this big list of things that we need to say no to. Okay, as was stated, I'm an engineer by trade, math, science, statistics. I live in that world. So I'm going to step into the world of grammar (laughs) for a few seconds here so I can be corrected later if I'm wrong. Hopefully I kept it simple enough for me because grammar was a long time ago. But when I see this word training, I look at it as a past, a present, and a future. You see, I believe from, the study, from how I've studied the Bible that there are things that we absolutely already know how to say no to. 
There are things that God has already trained us. We know how to say no, and we may be um, lazy or just don't care or just don't feel like saying no, but we know how to say no, and we need to act on that, and we need to um, act in belief, act in faith, trust God to do the right thing in those things. But I also believe there's a present aspect to the training that we need. Because there's a verse in Romans, and it's kind of Paul. You think of Paul, writer of this book, writer of so many books in the Bible, as such a strong individual. And as you hear him, he says, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. And I think that's all of us. And we need God's help. We need God's training in the present to be able to just say no. And God gives us a lot of resources to do that. I mean, first of all, praying to him, admitting that we need the help, asking for help, begging for help. Um, we have small groups here. It's, we have people that are godly in our small groups that we can trust and we can reach out to and say, hey, I need help in this area. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you come alongside me? Will you encourage me? Will you hold me accountable? And that's part of the training process. God didn't leave us all alone to fight this by ourselves. He gave us resources. He gave us people. He gave us the encouragement. And he gave us his word to encourage us. And we need to, in the present, understand that there is a battle. There is a fight. But our God is way more powerful than any fight, than any battle we're going to face. And he's there and he wants to train us. He wants to teach us. He wants our hearts to do the right thing. And not only is there a past and present, I believe there's a future. As we walk more and more as a believer, and as we learn more and more from God's word, as we hear messages, there's going to be things coming up in our life later that we might think now is no big deal, but God's going to say that is a big deal, and I need to train you to change in those areas too. And we need to be open to that in the future because God's grace will train us to say no to the things that we need to say no to. And he's there and he wants to help us. Okay, before we go to the put on, I want to try to do a little example. We'll see how this works. But one thing I really think we all need to be warned about, and that's the area of compromise. I think, I'm going to walk on the stage here, but if we were, if there's a sin or sins that we know that we don't, ever want to do it. We're like convinced I will never, ever, ever fall that way. And if the end of the stage was that sin and we're standing back here, we're like, I'm pretty safe. But then we do a little step of compromise and then another step of compromise. Before you know it, what used to be a great distance away, we start getting closer and closer and closer to. And when we get to the edge there's a couple things I think happen. Number one, we overestimate our personal abilities to step away. We overgo that far. And I think the other thing that happens is we get close to the edge. We underestimate how powerful that temptation is to take the last step and how easy it is to fail in ways we never thought we would. So my warning is, as you look at that list, I know on that list there are things that I'm more vulnerable to than others, and there are things that not maybe not as big of a temptation to me. But when you understand your personal vulnerabilities, 
Stay as far away from that as you can. Don't play with the temptation because we don't have the strength on our own to do that. So watch, watch, watch. In the areas of compromise, because we need to understand our own weaknesses. And the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We need to be sober. We need to be serious. We need to be vigilant. We need to be watching carefully and acting out appropriately. So the good news is there's a second half of that verse. And the second half of that verse says, okay, now you're putting off the old things but we need to start replacing them with the new things. As I studied this, I didn't, I never seen it or heard it this way, but the second half of the verse is to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So self-control, prudence, restraint, being smart. Self-control has more to do with our relationship with ourselves. It's our personal, the personal things we do. Can we control ourselves? Are we being smart in our reactions? Are we, are we looking ahead? Upright has more to do with what's our relationship with others around us. How's our speech with others around us? How's our encouragement? What are we doing with the world around us in support of those things? And godly, is the relationship with God. How's our relationship with God? How's our love for God? How's our response to what he's asking us to do? How are we moving forward in those things? So further on in Colossians, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, after all the put-off verses, after all the things are supposed to move, it says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit the way we respond to others, our love for God, our love for each other, we're to put on those things. And just like God trains us to say no to other things, God also trains us to say yes to these things and to move forward on those things and to be more like him day to day. We all have areas of things that we need to put off and to put on And God's grace is the power that we need to teach us to do those things. So as salvation is called justification, these put off, put on is called sanctification. Sanctification would be nice if we just put a ticket in, an order in, and say, I want to be sanctified. Thank you. Done. Move on to the next thing. But sanctification will be continuing in all of our lives till the day we go meet Christ. It's something we need to work on daily. It's something we need to pray to God for daily. It's something we need to ask and be encouraged by others. And that's why it's so important to have family 
and church family and support around us because we need to continue to grow in Christ. Okay. After sanctification comes glorification, which is a really amazing and incredible day. When will that be? I don't know. But God promises it. So verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. There is a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back. This world is crazy. Um, I have to very carefully guard the amount of news I watch because I can get really upset, frustrated, lose hope, um, anxious. You just think of what's going on in the world, all the wars and rumors of wars all around, um, dysfunction in D.C. Um, the, I'm getting close to retirement, I hope someday, and watching your 401k do the roller coaster. But there's just, there's so much instability wherever you look. But this verse is talking about what's absolutely stable, what's absolutely sure, what's absolutely going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to come back. Jesus Christ is going to reign. Jesus Christ is going to fix this mess. So the grace of God, point number three, gives us hope. God's grace provides us a hope. Not like the world gives. There's a hope. There's a, there was a point in my life where I listened to a lot of Southern gospel music. And there's a group called the Cathedrals. And one of their songs, which I think is really interesting, is I read the back of the book and we win. I read the back. When you read the book of Revelation, there's some crazy stuff in there that I'm glad we're not going to be on earth to experience, but... Ultimately, Jesus Christ is going to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we can have absolute confidence that that day is coming, that Jesus Christ will reign, that he will fix things. And that's very comforting to me, to know that there's a God that cares, that there's a God that loves us. There's uh, another verse in Jeremiah, which has been... uh, help to me and it's Jeremiah 29 11 it says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope God's ultimate plan should give us hope God cares about us he wants to give us a future and a hope he wants us to be comforted in the love that he provides for us and the plans that he provides for us We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he's all-knowing, and we know that he's ultimately on the throne and in control. So about 11 years ago, the hope of Christ became very, very real to me. We were, our whole family was living in Colorado. Um, Our oldest daughter, Danielle, was graduating from high school. I finally, after too many years, was able to complete my master's degree. And we went back to New York to go. She was able to graduate with her friends. I was able to graduate and go to my college graduation. And 
it was very, my dad came and he wasn't right. Something, he was really sick. He was not himself. Um, it became known within a couple of weeks that he had stage four cancer. And another month or so later, we had the difficult decision. Do we go on? Do we add all this extra medication? Do we do radiation? What do we do? And as we're meeting with a doctor, it really amazed me that my dad, who couldn't really speak at that point, he'd do the brain cancer and other things. He said to the doctor in what few words he could say, he said, I'm ready to see Jesus. And that stuck with me. And I've remembered it to this day. And then just a month or so later, as he was taking his last breath, um, my mother was just holding his hand and said, go see Jesus. And there's a hope there. There's a confidence. My dad had trusted Christ as his savior. He was living for God. And God, for some reason, chose to take him home much earlier than any of us wanted. And it was a terrible time. It was really rough. But we had hope because God's resurrection. We knew that he's in a much better place now. We miss him. But God's grace gave us a hope that only God's grace could give. So let's, as we start to bring this to a close, I want to read the end of verse 13 and then into verse 14. And the end of verse 13 is, we're waiting for the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. So verse 14 kind of ties everything together. It says, first of all, Jesus gave himself for us. And to me, the key word there is gave. People didn't take his life away from him. He didn't die as an accident. He gave his life freely. And why did he give his life freely for us? It says to purify us, to help us in the sanctification process, to make us more like him. And then the next that we are his possession. We are owned by Christ. And it says we should be zealous of good works. Zealous to do good works. Jesus Christ suffered for us. He gave his life freely for us. He saved us. He's looking to change us. And it's, he's asking us out of our love for him, to do what he wants us to do. So as we look again at the big idea, because I think it's really important, God's grace is available. It's, it's there. We have it if we need it. It's abundant. There's more than enough for everybody in this room. There's more than enough for everybody in the whole world. And it's amazing. Do I understand it? No. Will I ever understand it? I can understand parts of it. But God's grace is available. It's abundant. It's amazing. But what will our response be? How are we going to respond to God's grace? If there's never, ever been a time in your life where you have understood your need for a Savior, where you have 
understood that you're a sinner and God is perfect and you need, need to trust in him and him alone for your salvation. Today could be that day. You could reach out to Christ today. You could call out, surrender, call out to him as Savior and Lord and ask him to save you. Admit your sins, believe that Jesus died for you and then call out to him. You can do that today. Now, I know many in this room have already trusted Christ as your Savior. You've already made that decision. Where are we in our sanctification process? What do we need God to change in our lives? Where do we need help? Where do we need to pray to him? Where do we need to ask him for support? Who do we need to see in our small group at the church? Pastor Andrew's here. Pastor Dan's here. They would be happy to help you and show you from the Bible how you can move forward in that sanctification process because it's a process it's a journey and we all need God's help through it and finally if you're struggling with hope today there is no greater hope than the hope that God provides that the hope that Jesus Christ provides you can pray you can ask for it you can ask for encouragement you could look in the Bible. There are so many promises. Promise given, promise fulfilled. Promise given, promise fulfilled. God does what he says he's going to do. He loves us. And he can provide that hope that we also desperately need. So how will you respond? How will I respond? Because God demands our response. His grace is there, but how will we respond? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful that only you can meet our needs, but you want to. It's available. It's abundant, and it truly is amazing. But Lord, we just ask that you would work in lives, that you would encourage where encouragement's due and needed, that you would allow people to trust you for the life change that they need. Allow people to allow you to train them on how to say no to the things we need to say no to and how to say yes to the things that we need to say yes to. And Lord, if there's any here today that have never put their faith and trust in you alone for their salvation, Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Work in hearts. Help us. We are so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for the love you have for us. And we know and we have confidence that your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen.